0: This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 42. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good
1: life. And now your host, Kristen Trumpy.
0: Okay, so today we're going to Welcome, Michael Wehmeyer. He is a professor of special education at the University of Kansas. He is also the author of the Oxford Handbook of Positive Psychology and Disability. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Kristen. Nice to be here.
0: Nice to have you here. So how did you become interested in studying the intersection between disability and positive psychology?
1: Um... In the um, early, early 1990s in the United States, there was uh, the recognition that students with disabilities, despite having had access to public education for a decade and a half, were not achieving the kind of outcomes that were desired, particularly with regard to their transition to work or into community life. Uh, you know, in general, so there were there was a focus at that time on what what aspects of uh, the educational experience for students with disabilities was missing. And um, I'm a special educator uh, by training. Uh, I have an undergraduate and a graduate degree in special education, and then my doctorate is in basically. Uh, developmental psychology with another degree in experimental psychology so i'm a mix of psychology and education and my as a public school teacher i worked with adolescents with disabilities particularly adolescents with intellectual and developmental disabilities uh, for about a decade before i uh, came into the world of uh, research and and uh, higher education and so in the early 90s, this recognition that one of the things that was missing from the equation in the education of students with disabilities was the student him or herself, that plans were being made about students, that discussions were had, that decisions were made, all often outside any real involvement on uh, the part of the student. So. Uh, In the early 90s, there there came about a focus in particularly the education of adolescents with disabilities, a focus on promoting and enhancing the self-determination of children, youth, and adults with disabilities as a means to enable young people with disabilities to um, you know to make things happen in their own lives and to set goals that are were based upon their preferences and interests and to um, you know be engaged with decisions uh, that affected their lives um, and so over the course of I mean we've we've done that work over the course of uh, two and a half decades and then early in the 2000s I, uh, had the privilege of of uh, linking up with Shane Lopez, um, who at that time was at the University of Kansas, and he uh, our work uh, intersected. Shane, of course, works in the area of hope, and uh, so we began collaborating. And as the uh, the field of positive psychology emerged and began to mature, there were clear uh, intersections uh, between our work and and the work that was happening in positive psychology, and we became very interested in ensuring that people with disabilities weren't left out of the equation uh, when we began talking about you know how do we enable people to live the good life. Um, so, and of course, uh, the work uh, of self-determination theory itself had. Uh, Already had a, a long history and was was already part of the the discussion in positive psychology. Our our work in self determination has um, overlap with uh, self determination theory, the S D T motivation work, though our focus has been on a broader lens of um, self determination, not not so much within strictly the the motivation realm, but uh, more broadly as a as a dispositional characteristic within sort of an organismic approach to uh, human agentic behavior. So, um, and you know, I think the other thing, so I've, I've had a long history uh, working with people with disabilities. My particular area is people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And if you look at the lives of people with disabilities around the world, and particularly perhaps people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, they often have the fewest choices available. They often live by no no preference of their own in segregated settings. Their lives are often uh, constrained by the demands of systems that provide funding and supports, or uh, by the needs of families who are who are the sole provider. So this issue of of self-determination, and then I think the broader context of uh, positive psychology, uh, is particularly salient to people with disabilities in general, who who have had you know just significantly fewer opportunities than than most people to um, you know become autonomous you know sort of self-regulating uh, individuals and and to have the kind of options to to live lives that are based upon preference and choice. Um, so that uh, drove our uh, our work, the the emergence of uh, different ways of thinking about disability that were uh, propagated by the World Health Organization that looked at issues pertaining to disability as um, in, in social ecological or, or biopsychosocial or person environment fit, whichever one you want to use sort of this notion that disability is not not something, that really resides within a person, but in fact, um, is um, you know, a, a, in the interaction between you know the the person, his or her um, uh, limitations and strengths, uh, and the demands of the environment, and 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 the ways that we can provide supports that enable people to gain capacity, but also modify the the context so that people can be successful have. Have pushed us toward away from deficits-focused uh, uh, models of disability and toward the strengths-based models of disability. So, when the, the opportunity came to um, um, edit the Oxford Handbook on, uh, on Positive Psychology and Disability, it was really, really the first time that these notions of disability and strengths-based perceptions. Uh, you know, uh, enabled us to begin to look beyond sort of historic uh, deficit and pathology-based models. But by by a long way around, that's sort of uh, where we ended up. You know, the fact is that uh, in order for people with disabilities to live full, rich lives in their communities, the the work that we do and the work of others that do similar things need to be more uh, better integrated with Uh, work that's uh, talking about all people so
0: okay you said a couple of things and I'll have more questions about those and I took some notes but i I was wondering about how can a listener who maybe hasn't been really exposed to either having a disability themselves or caring for someone in their family or immediate friends how how can they understand or what can, what should they do with these concepts that you talk about?
1: Um, that's a good question. So uh, if, if um, a listener who hasn't had a personal experience with disability or, or doesn't have a loved one with a disability, I'm sure that most people have interacted with people with disabilities in, in some way, shape or form, whether it was through school, through, uh, you know, work through whatever context. Um, historically, um we have thought about disability as as being a problem within the person. And we emphasized and certainly there are biological, structural, other issues that result in a person um having limited uh capacity to perform, you know, typical uh functions, but uh whether that's, you know, cognitive or, or motor or otherwise uh, and for you know, most of history, people with disabilities have been understood as, in some way, embodying those deficits. the The focus was on on uh, them as being sort of broken or pathological, as outside the norm somehow, as different. But of course, you know, there's there's you know, it's what makes us human isn't how or whether we walk or you know how clever we are, or you know all those things. And what you know, they're they they're obviously much more fundamental. Uh, you know uh, things that that uh, reflect our humanness, and so you know we've become pretty good at, in in many parts of the world at this stage at providing modifications that can reduce the the limitations imposed by a person's uh, condition or a situation that has resulted in disability, you know, the, the easiest example is, is that of, uh, you know, the effect of universally designed environments, curb cuts and ramps rather than stairs and curbs that enable somebody who uses a wheelchair to, um, you know, get to the same places that uh, somebody who uh, would walk there can get to. And what you've done there is you've You've provided somebody with some technology support that, in the way of a, a wheelchair. You've uh, provided, you've, you've uh, modified the environment in the way of uh, modifying curbs so that there's a curb cut and ramps so that people can get out. And the combination of those things enable people to uh, function in, in typical ways. So these new ways of thinking about disability uh, are strengths based. They they focus on, they begin with what a person does well. Uh, you know, people with disabilities are unique human beings, each of whom have their own cadre and set of strengths and abilities, as well as limitations that are introduced by the condition or um, uh, structural issue. So um, instead of beginning with the, the deficit, they, these models begin with what a person can do, what are their strengths, what are their Abilities, um, and and then uh, take a look at what are the demands in the environment, and um, you know the the environment is very broadly cast there, and 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 really context. But what can we do to enable people to uh, be successful, um, and uh, and then by modifications to the environment, and then then look at what other supports can be introduced to. uh, enable somebody to to um, to be successful so let me let me uh, let me give you an illustration so uh, let's say somebody has a, a motor uh, disorder cerebral palsy as an example um, uh, many people with cerebral palsy have um, uh, difficulty uh, controlling motor functions um, uh, and either have difficulty walking or or, or unable to walk and, and and need and use a um, a wheelchair or some other uh, form of mobility. Um, for uh, many people, uh, you know, with, with motor and other disabilities, transportation becomes a huge issue in terms of being able to work and in, in terms of being able to access the communities, go to movies, do those kinds of things. But we're, we're And so, you know, and many people with cerebral palsy, because of the extent of their motor impairments, simply cannot drive a traditional automobile. But we're very quickly moving in an era uh, in which we have what are being called, you know, uh, autonomous vehicles, but cars that drive themselves, basically. Uh, And by modifying the context, that of uh, the automobile, uh, uh, people uh, with, you know, motor impairments can can be um, uh, can be enabled basically to uh, supported to uh, overcome the barriers that that had been introduced, and then let's say a person with a cognitive disability in addition to a motor disability has difficulty understanding where they're going. Um, you know, these cars, these autonomous vehicles, will have the same kind of uh, uh, GPS-enabled devices that will uh, enable. Uh, a person to simply probably speak or enter data as to where they're going and you know GPS will get the vehicle there so you know that all sounds a little star trekky but it's you know these are technologies that are in place and will enable uh, people who otherwise uh, might not have been able to participate to participate fully and so that you know these combinations of supports Uh, modifications to context and enhancing personal capacity are ways that uh, allow us to go beyond just thinking about pathology and and to consider what we can do to uh, uh, enable and put in place the supports that enable people to live full rich lives in their communities.
0: So now you mentioned mostly things about the environment in terms of technology and infrastructure. Now, I'm wondering about what about the, you know, the human environment, you know, like how people treat people.
1: Sure. And, and, uh, you know, another good point. Uh, When we talk about supports, um, I have a a chart, uh, a a big spiral, uh, envision a spiral at the center of that chart. The most important support is the person, him or herself. We uh, we need to do everything we can to enable people to be self-determined to be able to make things happen in their lives to have opportunities to education that enable them to acquire the skills and knowledge and then to have opportunities to make things happen in their own lives to live self-determined lives then if you radiate out you know the sort of next level of supports are the people that interact the person's friends their family uh, others you know who are close to them the the fact of the matter is uh, most people, you know, the old adage, it takes a village uh, to support, uh, to raise a child, it, 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 that's sort of true. If you experience a disability, um, often the best support you have are the, the family and the friends that are around you. And then going out another layer of, of, in this, uh, in this circle a concentric circles is is you know people who are who interact with you in the world who who may not be closest family and friends but you know your coworkers who you interact with on a day in and day out basis, you know coworkers. Uh, um, if somebody uh, is somebody with a disability at work uh, requires some you know minor modification to the job routine, it's often the case that coworkers can do part of that to support somebody with very little. Um, a time or effort uh, attributed to them. So, uh, so, and you know, I think uh, people with uh, people in the general public, people, uh, you know, understanding that people with disabilities are people first and foremost who have strengths, who have abilities, who have preferences, who have interests, who contribute, who 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 can and should be supported to. To live meaningful lives in their communities, and then, and then we go out to sort of systems level. You know, Bronfenbrenner's the the, the systems kinds of things that that look at. You know, what can we do in society? What can we do in, uh, you know, in in uh, uh, in other systems? So you know, people. Uh, you know, people interacting with people with disabilities can, can play a major role in supporting. It does you know, it's easier to use the technology and, and kind of modifying the, the environment kind of examples because people can visualize that. But, you know, a great many supports really come from people around people with disabilities who, who first of all, accept them as, as you know, equal citizens with uh, equal rights. Uh, and then act in ways that uh, ensure that those people's the people people with disabilities rights aren't trampled aren't that they're not discriminated against and then look at equity within society uh, in in terms of diversity that diversity can include uh, people across ability level, up across you know different modes of mobility or speaking or whatever else. That uh, you know uh, the quilt of humanity is is a richer, uh, more vibrant quilt if we have both people of all colors, people from you know linguistic and ethnic and cultural di- culturally diverse backgrounds, but also people with disabilities who vary according to uh, you know according to Uh, ability across multiple spectrums, so, um, you know, it's this notion of acceptance and support from uh, people and, you know, one of the reasons we talk a lot about this issue of changing the way we think about disability because, you know, many people are fearful of interacting with people with disabilities, they're fearful that they'll they'll do something wrong, they don't understand that people uh, with disabilities have strengths that coexist with limitations. Um, And so if we can help move people's way of thinking about disability away from, um, uh, you know, these sort of um, conceptualizations as people as broken and different to understandings that emphasize that people with disabilities are first and foremost people, uh, citizens, uh, you know, fellow workers, uh, and and that like all of us, you know, can get by with a, a little help from our friends kind of thing. You know, the you know we go going back to the GPS example. Uh, many of us now use our smartphone to navigate trips and to get around uh, when in unfamiliar settings, um, and that's an example of how these kinds of supports are going to enable all of us to 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 live richer, fuller lives. And to some degree, the kinds of supports that enable people with disabilities to live. Uh, fuller, richer lives, or just extensions, and perhaps uh, you know uh, 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 more sophistication in designing those supports. But, nevertheless, you know it's the same kinds of things that support you and I day to day.
0: Okay, um, there are many, many different questions I have, but <laughs> <laughs> there's yeah. Um, let me think about that. the The thing that struck me when I talk to well, I have a friend who has a son who has cerebral palsy and I'm just you know I think it's on a w- on one hand it's such a cliche thing to say um that but I have honest to god never met someone who has more resilience than this person right. and I have you know cousins in my family who happen to have an uncle um with uh, you know I don't know how is it down syndrome trisomy twenty one. Uh-huh. and the kids especially the daughter she's 10 years old i think in in this really interesting way it kind of made her develop her character strength of kindness and responsibility in a way that i don't think most 10 year olds have developed it and same you know same thing with the resilience in that in that mother that i spoke about so i been thinking about you know how is there any work on how caring either caring within a family context or working with people who have a disability how it actually brings out the best because we only talk about I've heard a lot about you know compassion fatigue and that kind of thing but it strikes me that the opposite happens as well it kind of it it forces you you know there is a difference that we can't deny and it does you know in a weird yeah it kind of makes us use resources that we might otherwise not need to use
1: yeah i think that's that both of those examples are good observations um You know, um, uh, just, you know, when you view uh, people with disabilities in a deficit mode, then the response to families is, you know, historically it's been to, you know, put your child away and, and, uh, you know, send them to the institution or somewhere else and forget about them. But, you know, as we've, you know, the latter half of the 20th century, there was more of an emphasis on Supporting people in home, but it would you know the the message to families was about coping, and you know there was a, there were always comparisons between uh, you know the the Kubler Ross uh, uh, stages of uh, you know death and dying, and 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 uh, you know parallels to parenting uh, a child with a disability, and you know they all just sort of spoke to this. You know I think a lot of it is is low expectations. It's that. You know, the emphasis on the the impairment, the deficit has, you know, creates a a condition. But the fact of the matter is, as you mentioned, um, there are uh, uh, characteristics and and strengths that, that, uh, you know, the experience of living with and parenting and being the sibling of a person with a disability uh, bring out. I mean, people with disabilities uh, who are successful in in most societies in the world have had to. Uh, y- you mentioned resilience. They, they they have to become resilient. They have to be able to use humor in ways that enable them to to adjust. You know, uh, cope with the the gross ignorance and discrimination that they often experience. They have to. They have to. Uh, you know, to to develop greater persistence and and you know advocacy, probably a stronger sense of who they are. Uh, you know, uh, parents and family members and and siblings. Uh, you know, the same issue of of resilience and persistence and and other things. But you know, with siblings, particularly, there is research that shows that siblings of uh, who have a, a, a brother or a sister with a disability, you know, they disproportionately go into Um, you know, uh, professions that focus on, uh, I'll say, caregiving, um, you know, teaching and uh, social welfare and, you know, nursing and the kinds of professions that and you know even you know religious uh, uh, vocations you know the the kinds of things that focus on uh, in on bringing uh, people better lives I better throw psychologist in there as well uh, you know and so um, and you know I, I there you know I, I I think you know we haven't I think it would be interesting uh, as as, a, as the uh, capacity to measure the these kinds of uh, character strengths uh, has come about. Um, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think. I haven't seen any research that, that actually measured kindness and, and you know, gratitude and some of those things. But you know, my experience with siblings of of who have a brother or sister with a disability is, in fact, they they are caring human beings who who do think who who, you know, who their whose lives are often shaped by. The experience of uh, living with and often supporting a, a sibling with a disability, and and I think the same thing is true. The the personal experience with disability, I think, changes how you view yourself and and view others. And that's why it's really important that those experiences be shaped around strengths and not around deficits. Because for far too long, what people have learned by interactions is you know that that people with disabilities are different, but the you know, if you are in a supportive family, if you are, you know, if you are, uh, if you have opportunities to to live life and to go to school with your peers, I mean, it. it you know, I think it, it goes well beyond just family. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, we know that if if children with disabilities are included with included in the in the education system with their non-disabled peers, beginning early on, particularly by the time you know they're young people, adolescents. Uh, people without these adolescents without disabilities talk about how much you know they've learned and from and grown because of their uh, their friendship with uh, a person, a, a fellow student with a disability, um, and you know those are important because those those young people are going to be the future employers and the the you know the future decision makers who. Who and if they if they go into that with having personal experience uh, of people with disabilities, uh, they're they're more likely going to um, uh, uh, create uh, a society where uh, opportunities are richer. And you know, again, I go back to the quilt of, of humanity. It's, it it is. I you know, I think uh, in my experience. Um, you know, interacting with people with disabilities, and you know, you got to be careful not to broad, <laughs> paint too broad of a brush, but because people with disabilities are, you know, they're not all universally kind, they're not all, you know, whatever else. But you know, and these interactions and 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 getting to know people and developing friendships uh, makes a, a person, I think, richer value things that they might not otherwise see, um, and uh, just in some ways wiser i think
0: yes and i think that's that's a very important point because i get the sense that sometimes maybe especially when it politically it seems like oh um we are so great because we are you know providing this for disabled people and i i just feel it's a very it's a two-way i mean it's it's two ways we grow as an as a result of interacting with people who are different be it from different countries from different religious backgrounds or from people who have you know different physical or mental setup as we do so i think that's really important to emphasize
1: and i believe that to be true and i think there is research that suggests that particularly in education i mean there are there is there is research showing you know the positive benefits to students who don't have disabilities from interacting with uh, peers with disabilities in in, you know, typical context, and clearly, you know, uh, up until the mid-20th century, in, in most of the world, in fact, really all of the world, many people with disabilities were isolated, they were segregated, they were, you know, treated as different, but we've had about a half a century of beginning to move that to models that emphasize that people with disabilities want to and deserve the right to live learn work and play in their communities and that you know when we when that happens that really all of us are richer
0: yes yes so i'd like to shift gears a little bit and get a little bit more technical because we've been talking about character strengths for example Mm -hmm. and um I'm just wondering with usually what we do, for example, the VIA assessment, so the values in action, strengths assessment, people answer, I don't know, 264 questions or something around that time. And Uh I mean, if people have a mental disability, how can we, can we use even instruments like that? Or how do we measure their character strengths?
1: Again, it's a good question. Um... And really, I mean the you know before uh, the the first step in saying how do we measure a person's character strengths is to um, to talk about people as with disabilities as having strengths, right? So you know that is still a fairly um, uh, recent phenomenon, and uh, really only in the last decade the the World Health organization, the international classification of functioning. Health and disability, uh, which sort of is the mature version of these kinds of ways of understanding disability, wasn't 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 introduced until 2001. So, um, you know, uh, we are slowly, and different parts of the world have have done the better jobs of uh, adopting these things. The recent convention on the rights of people with disabilities embodies many of these strengths-based things, and as countries adopt this and begin to implement. Uh, supports consistent with them, uh, you know, it'll take a while for us to move uh, from, we've we've got a long history of deficits thinking, so it'll take us a while uh, to move into the strength space. So, so the fact that this is a fairly recent phenomenon, and then the fact that no matter what you do, it's almost always, you know, people with cognitive impairments are almost always the last Group to really sort of be included in these things. There's really only recently been any focus on measuring character strengths of people with intellectual uh, disability or other cognitive disabilities, which might include, you know, um, uh, other um, uh, forms of uh, cognitive impairment. But um, our work in, in issues around self-determination uh, is a strengths based focus you know what what uh, how uh, how self-determined are people but um, we've been working in fact with uh, the via survey the adolescent version uh, to norm it with children uh, youth with um, adolescents with disabilities as part of um, the development of a, a more refined uh, measure of self-determination that we're developing uh, that um, uh, looks at uh, volitional action and, and causal action and, and action control beliefs in children and adolescents with and without disabilities. So we're norming that across uh, populations of, of, of adolescents with and without disabilities so we can talk about. This in the context of all all adolescents, and not just measuring, you know, um, uh, something for students with disabilities not being able to to talk about it in the broader context. But part of that process, we hooked up with uh, folks at uh, uh, VIA uh, and um, have have been um, evaluating and norming uh, the VIA the adolescent version of the VIA Strength Survey with uh, adolescents with intellectual disability, and um, we're still, you know, fairly early in that process. Our hope is that when we are, comp- we have finished this, actually we're about halfway through, We've, uh, when we finish this, what we'll be able to t- talk about, obviously, is the is the uh, the psychometrics and the uh, validity and the reliability of, of the, the, the instrument with that population, and, you know, I can tell you that our uh, our early um, um, work on some pilot work with 300 some odd uh, uh, youth with intellectual disability um, suggests that you know the structure of the instrument is, remains pretty similar within this population. We've um, we've mod- made we've made some modifications to simplify language, uh, so you know you want to you want to make language simpler so that people. Uh, who have cognitive difficulties can understand what's being asked, uh, but you don't want to change the uh, meaning of the the, the uh, item, obviously, so we have to, you know, evaluate that. We found that how you ask questions is really important for uh, people with intellectual disability that, that um, you know, you can't have double negatives in questions, it creates confusion, you uh, you you want to try to stay away from sort of yes no questions. Uh, there's a tendency toward acquiescence if a person doesn't understand things. So there's we do know something about assessment and and best ways to to to, to reliably uh, assess these things. So I uh, you know I think it's it it's exciting for us because it's the first opportunity to really work with a, a tool that's you know fairly broadly and widely. Uh, accepted and used and to look at uh, the properties and to uh, create a, an opportunity for uh, youth with intellectual disability to begin to talk about things that nobody really talks about with them right now you know you know beauty and, and um, you know all these other character strengths that are measured in, in uh, uh, um, you know in, in the the via, uh, are just not things that are part of the equation for many people with intellectual disability. I was talking with a family last week, their daughter who's, a, who's in her last year in high school here in the United States has Down syndrome uh, and they fought very hard to keep her included in in uh, typical classes in at the high school and one of the classes that this young woman uh, has really excelled in with some modifications to instruction and to the curriculum and the other features is a, a Latin course. And she just really, really took to these, uh, you know, both the language and and then learning about, you know, uh, cultures, particularly Roman culture. Um, you know, these are things that uh, she appreciated. She, you know, she uh, really uh, learned a lot because it was something she cared a lot about, uh, and it's a strength that you know that that kind of uh, uh, you know capacity the the strength to to appreciate you know form and function and, and the kinds of things that you think about in roman cultures it's just just not something that i anyone in the past would have uh, talked to her about or found out so yeah you know, i think it's it's got to be the first step in in creating you know um, assessments that enable us to have conversations with people about um you know what their strengths are and, and including character strengths
0: i'm glad it's going in this direction i'm i'm you know i'm happy to see what comes out of it this actually also reminded me of something else and that's the collateral effect effects that happen through doing this so you mentioned doing a simplification of language now a weird thing happened over here in my little corner of the world called Switzerland, <laughs> and what they did was actually they they simplified. I think I'm not sure if it was for voting or some other government right. government related correspondence right. to to for people with intellectual disabilities and people in the newspaper columns. They were not joking. They were you know like regular folks without any any kind of disability said you know. Thank you, right? Because now we understand what our government is telling us.
1: Right? Yeah. And it
0: it has like this weird effect that yeah. you know we might have been excluding not just people with disabilities, but actually just right. people who are maybe not extremely educated from right. participating. So I'm thinking maybe we might come up with a whole slew of effects we didn't even think about if we well, start doing I, this.
1: Yeah, I'm certain that's going to happen. Again, uh, you know, in looking at. Um, You know, I mean, uh, to some degree, the kind of supports that people with intellectual disability need are just sort of variations on the kinds of supports that all of us need. Um, In the United States, um, uh, in the, oh, it's been a couple decades ago, but there was a a requirement to uh, begin closed captioning. Uh, capacity for television sets, and that of course uh, is a technology that now is is fairly simply added and is pretty ubiquitous around the world. I'm I'm, I'm fairly certain, but if uh, you know the data are pretty clear, the primary users of closed caption, uh, captioning on TV are not people uh, who have a hearing impairment for whom it was designed. Although clearly it, it benefits them, but in fact uh, people who. Um, who are in bars or other noisy places and watching TV, or people who are working out in, in gymnasiums or in, uh, um, in uh, fitness centers. Uh, and, you know, we can we can name a number. I mean, if you think about ramps, Uh, you know uh, uh, parents of young children who have strollers are probably benefit as much or more from uh, ramps than uh, people who use wheelchairs and you know it's the same thing is going to be true with simplification Uh, you know think of all the technology devices that people abandon because they can't use uh, simply and how nice it would be not to uh, you know if we had uh, simpler versions of those so
0: Interesting. Now, from a positive psychology point of view, I'm just curious about, you mentioned before that you worked with Shane Lopez on Hope, for example. Uh-huh. Now, I'm wondering, can you basically just take over the research that you got from, you know, let's say Shane's work on Hope, or does it somehow need to be customized in this context, and if so, how?
1: Um, I think... I mean, people, and I'll I'll stick with our uh, main work with people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, people are people, and hope is hope, right? So there's no fundamental reason to believe that hope as a construct uh, has any real uh, differences, uh, uh, bet- you know, as a function of whether you have an intellectual impairment or not, that we've we've always hypothesized the same thing about self determination. There is no self determination specific to one population or another. Self determination is self determination as a construct. And so, uh, what what does have to change though is are the ways that we assess. Uh, that, you know, and it's often just a a function of, you know, simplification of of assessments and creating ways of assessing uh, hope and, you know, probably to some degree ways uh, to to promote it. Although, you know, I know uh, we worked some with Shane on interventions for um, uh, college, first-year college students uh, that were part of a, a sort of a general course on how to be a college student and you know, looking at the role of of hope and self-determination and enabling young people uh, who just entered college to be successful um, in juggling coursework and, you know, all the demands might include work, might include other things. Um, And, you know, I mean, I think those kinds of interventions have equal uh, potential to benefit people with intellectual disability, maybe in a different context, maybe, you know, but so it, I think it's a matter of making both assessments and interventions and opportunities uh, well, uh, making interventions and assessments uh, uh, you know reliable and valid for for populations, and then also it's so much of it's just creating opportunities. Um, you know, uh, I you know what is very clear in our work in self determination is that that youth with disabilities and, and adults with disabilities, but most of our workers with youth, have far fewer opportunities than their non-disabled same-age peers to, you know, uh, to learn to be autonomous, to, to, you know, learn to make things happen in their lives, to set goals, to be involved in decisions. So, so much of what has to change uh, is not about the construct itself, um, but it's about what kind of opportunities do people have so uh, so you know our our uh, some of the initial work we did with with Shane began to look at you know the children's hope scale, how does what does that look like in a population of young people with disabilities? We did uh, an initial study that was published in the Journal of Positive Psychology that looked at um, the relationships uh, between youth with and without disabilities. Uh, in hope, optimism, uh, and life, lifestyle satisfaction, as and self determination, and you know, what did what did the model look like? How do those things relate? And how did you know that relationship differ, perhaps, in terms of kids with with disability? You know, were there different uh, pathways that we need to be thinking about? Um, so you know, I think I think we approach our work with the idea that these are universal human, you know, characteristic strengths, and that there's no there is no compelling reason to believe they will be different uh, for people with disabilities. But that there may be there certainly uh, we need to, to be better about uh, uh, ensuring that we've uh, that uh, you know the measures that are developed have been normed with uh, uh, people with disabilities, which is, you know, unfortunately, it's, it's not very often the case. I, I can't think of too many measures, and we've used we've made, used measures of autonomous functioning, and we've used measures of self-efficacy, locus of control, hope, lifestyle satisfaction, optimism, and in every case, um, uh, with the exception of self-determination, which we were drawing from our own work, in every case, there we had to norm uh, and do some work norming the instruments, and then, uh, if necessary, modifying the instrument to be valid and reliable for for youth, children, youth with disabilities, because it just simply hadn't been done before. Uh, so you know that continues, you know I'd like to get to a point where when people develop assessments, they they consider, they take into account that you know um, a, a percentage of the population um, you know may need a different way of, uh, having an item read or may need to use a different form of modification and, and they norm it. But until that, we'll take the instruments that are out there that that, that are that we can access that seem to have utility and, and uh, work with them to create versions that would be uh, uh, appropriate for all people. And I think that's important. It's all people. You know, we don't want to create disability-only assessments. We're moving away from that uh, in our work. Uh, we're moving away from uh, interventions that are just uh, specific to children with disabilities. Our intervention work uh, is is intervention. You know, I mean, you know, promoting enhancing self determination is important for all children and youth. And uh, you know, uh, we you know the interventions don't change. Again, how it's delivered, some of the supports that are necessary may may change, but. Um, you know, so uh, you know, I think it's really important uh, that that we not perpetuate the idea of developing separate instruments that are normed only with specific populations of people with disabilities. We need instruments that are normed and 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 worthwhile and interventions that are efficacious uh with all people and all children and all youth.
0: All right, so is there something you haven't touched upon that you would like to? Let our listeners know as a final final closing word or something like that.
1: Um, well, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk about these things. obviously I can, I can go on and on. Um, you know I, I think I'm, I'm very positive you know uh, I, I believe that the opportunities for people with d- disabilities to live full rich lives in their communities, as a function of movements and changes in understanding disability in a focus on positive and strengths-based psychologies uh... really has never been better and so i think for those of us who work in these fields uh... it's really important that we begin to think about more broadly about uh... you know um, if we're if positive psychology is basically about you know how do we enable people to live the good life? Uh, you know, including people with disabilities. We've done, we've done uh, uh, studies that looked at the literature in both positive psychology and in disability, and it's still a very small percentage of uh, articles and research that uh, focuses on the um, the intersection, the confluence of these issues of disability and positive psychology. But in my mind, it's a very rich um, uh, uh, potential uh, to 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 further our understanding of people, uh, what you know, what the experience of disability is like, uh, to enable to support people to live as full citizens, to to go to school and to live, learn, work, and play with their their peers as as full citizens, and you know, and I think there are very obviously very real values to society. To doing that, and that we're we're better off if we if we head down that path and and abandon you know sort of the old um, historical um, focus on on deficit and, and uh, uh, on segregation. Um, and again, I think there's lots of out there. Somebody who's who's uh, early in their career. There's uh, you know there's lots of opportunity to take a look at at how to support strengths you know, for people with, with disabilities. So, I think it would be, uh, you know, in terms of clinical work. I mean, there's just all sorts of opportunities that are emerging as a part of this. And I'm hoping that we'll see more and more disability issues as part of the conversation when uh, we talk about positive psychology and, and diversity.
0: Okay. Thanks very much, Michael. Uh, it was great to have you.
1: It, it was my pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help us out by sharing it with your network and leaving a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. We would love to hear from you at kristen@strengthphoenix.com. at strengthphoenix.com. For show notes and more, head over to www.strengthsphoenix.com. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yoghurt.